You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, today being Good Friday. I was reading an interesting piece from Liam Collins in the Irish Independent today and he's writing all about the fact that it's only six years ago that on today, Good Friday, you would not have been able to have gone into a public bar or into a lounge uh, to buy a drink because, of course, all pubs closed on Good Friday and it was all part of Ireland's uh, religious observation of Holy Week which of course we are in at the moment. The ban was first introduced it was the Intoxicating Liquor Act and you have to go back to 1927 for the history of when this ban was introduced. The Justice Minister at the time was a gentleman by the name of Kevin O'Higgins and when they introduced this Intoxicating Liquor Act there was actually three days selected where pubs would close in this country. One of them actually was St Patrick's Day the other was Good Friday and of course the other one was uh, Christmas Day. Now the closing of the pubs on St Patrick's Day, that was enforced from 1927 but it got lifted in 1960 but the rule for pubs closing for Good Friday, that remained in place until five years ago, it was 2018 was when they decided to lift uh, the Good Friday ban on pubs closing, obviously the Christmas Day one uh, remains but back in the day there was always these whispers, says Liam in the paper today on Easter Easter week people would be going on about oh such and such a pub they might be open on Good Friday you need to know what the secret knock is you need to know where the back door is you need to be very careful going in there and you have to be very quiet when you're in the pub now for the majority of publicans they just didn't want the hassle uh, but there was some pubs everybody would know someone who knew someone that could get you into a pub on a Good Friday and it almost became a game for people to see could they go for a drink on a Good Friday now there was of course legal ways around it at the time. There was one, if you were a bona fide traveller, you could get a pint at a train station. Now, what it meant was there was only, now this would have been limited to a certain number of train stations. It would only be a train station that actually had a bar. You did have to buy a train ticket because seemingly there was spot checks done. Seemingly the, the train stations that did have bars were absolutely packed on Good Friday. People bought a train ticket. They didn't go anywhere, but they had to have the train ticket in case they were checked to see uh, was it legit uh, or, or, or not and then there was if you were uh, my memory says as well if you were in if you were a resident in a uh, if you were a resident in a hotel you could also get a drink but you had to be a resident and I think there was another rule if you went in for a three course meal I think you, you could get a drink as well so there was ways around it but of course there was so much debate and every year for years we ran debates on this programme on whether the Good Friday drinking ban should be lifted or not and one of the big ones was that there was always tourists wandering around cities and towns very puzzled by the, fu- by the fact that pubs were closed. American tourists many of them coming to this country for Easter and loved the idea of going into an Irish bar were scratching their heads. They were unaware that bars closed on a Good Friday. So there was a lot of arguments in the years leading up to the lifting of the ban uh, was that it was very bad for the country's image as a tourist destination. So they eventually decided to relax uh, the law and that was in uh, 2018. Well, they didn't relax it. They took it away in uh, 2018. But I think because of the tourism, that's why there was a little bit of a relaxation of it where you could if you were staying in a hotel you could get a drink as a resident in the hotel um, bar Um, uh, but as I say 2018 was when it was uh, completely uh, lifted and there was another 
a part of that Intoxicating Liquor Act in 1927 and some of the older generation may remember this. There was a thing called the Holy Hour. And that meant that pubs had to close between two and three on a Sunday. Now, seemingly the original holy hour was two hours. It was two to four, but then it got relaxed back at two to three. I don't know when that was actually uh, lifted. And at the time, the theory behind it was, was to get the men folk. I mean, you're talking about 1927 when it was introduced. Women traditionally wouldn't have been going into pubs. So it was to get the men folk to go home and make sure that they'd have their Sunday dinner. This is when people let their dinner in the middle of the day. So they had this two to four, which then went back to two to three and that eventually got uh, uh, lifted. And of course, we know uh, today all of the pubs are open. But what I think is kind of the real big uh, irony about today is... The pubs are not going to be packed this morning or this afternoon. Now there will be people who will be off and will be heading out on a normal Friday night uh, drink. But there's no rush to go out and have a pint. I think for many, the people who would have been going around whispering, trying to find out what pub can I get a sneaky pint in on Good Friday, uh, they only went uh, and the crack was more to do with the fact that you weren't allowed to have a drink. And that's what encouraged people to go to the pub. So it kind of defies logic. But all of the pubs are open today. There are still people who disagree and still people who feel that it should have uh, remained in place. 0818103103. Can I give a shout out to a group who are out litter picking on this Good Friday for National Spring Clean. It is going on in Grenad today and drivers are asked to please, please slow down around the area. So if you're driving anywhere in or around uh, Grenad, please be careful because there are litter pickers, volunteers out doing their bit as part of National Spring Clean uh, Week. Uh, good luck to everybody involved there. As I mentioned, today is uh, Good Friday and it is the 20, 25th anniversary of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. The actual official date is Monday because it was the 10th of April in 1998 but it was, of course, Good Friday. So we will always, I think, commemorate it on this day. And of course, if we think back 25 years, it was a deal really that many had thought was absolutely impossible and 25 years ago it was an agreement that brought an end to Northern Ireland's troubles, a conflict that had seen more than 3,500 people killed and of course tens of thousands uh, injured and bereaved and people, many people living with those injuries uh, still today and one of the key components was of course the creation of the power sharing assembly at Stormont and that was designed to force nationalists and unionists to work together in a devolved government a quarter of a century later. Sadly, that uh, power sharing administration is in limbo at the moment because, of course, the Democratic Unionist Party, they are boycotting it at the moment. It's a part of their campaign against the post-Brexit uh, trade agreement. But strand two of the agreement was the North-South Ministerial Council and that brings together members of the Stormont Executive and the Irish government in order to cooperate on matters of mutual interest. But unfortunately, that's also suspended at the moment uh, as well. And there's so much talk now about the US President Joe Biden and his visit uh, to Ireland uh, next week. And he now has opted not to visit Stormont during his visit to Belfast next week to mark the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. And the White House's view appears uh, to be it really doesn't make political sense to visit the home of a government that isn't actually functioning. And I think a number of people will agree with the White House on that one. Though there will be a ceremony held. It's going to be held in the Great Hall of Parliament buildings 
Ireland's instalment and that's going ahead this afternoon to actually mark the anniversary and those uh, attending are going to be all of the key figures in the uh, agreement negotiations those that are still with us you know people like our, our former Taoiseach Bertie Hearn is going to be there the former Sinn Féin leader Gerry Adams is going to be there and then past and present members of Stormont they'll all attend alongside relatives of some of the leading participants in the negotiation and the programme it seems will have a number of musical performances and there's also going to be many video messages including I'm told messages from the former US Senator George Mitchell and he of course chaired the talks designed to take the guns out of politics and as I said at the outset it really was a deal that nobody thought was possible but thankfully uh, 25 years ago the deal and the agreement went through and uh, we can only begin to begin to speculate how many lives were saved because that deal went through so we very much remember uh, and honour I think everyone who had to go to great lengths to get that Good Friday agreement uh, signed and we remember 25 years on today Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork today at c103.ie today on C103. Now a Kerry-based GP who is nearing retirement has called for creative thinking around recruitment for rural areas and Dr Brian O'Donovan has appealed to younger doctors to consider a country practice. With more and more GPs closing their lists to new patients, how difficult is it to get to see a doctor? Blackpool-based Dr John Sheehan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, this Dr. Brian O'Donovan from Caris Ivine, I thought he made an interesting point. He was saying 20 or 30 years ago, it was hard for GPs to get a job because so many people were applying when a surgery would put up a position. But the opposite is happening today. Why is that the case? Yes, you're absolutely right, Patricia. And there's a number of reasons. I suppose, the first of all, the, the number of GPs... Um, hasn't really changed in the last 20, 30 years. The number of hospital consultants has doubled, which is a great thing, but the number of GPs has stayed stayed the same. And a quarter of GPs now in Ireland are over 60. So it's a bit like the clergy where you're seeing more and more older um, 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 GPs throughout the country. The second thing then is the population of Ireland has increased significantly. So there's an increased demand. And then the third reason is what we do in general practice now is much, we do an awful lot more than what we used to, which is a really good thing. You know, like 95% of people with type 2 diabetes now are managed in, in, in general practice. And um, also there's a lot of chronic disease management and things like that. And then on the other side, Patricia, the, the demand for services, for instance, our population has increased. But also we now have the highest life expectancy in the EU, which I had to go away and check because I, I didn't believe it when I read it. Um, but that's great. But it means, our, our, for instance, our, our, our number of people over 85 are doubling in the next eight years. Our number of people over 65 are doubling in the next 15 years. So we're living a lot longer, which is fantastic. But of course, the demand then for services in primary care and in general practice are increasing all the time. So you have an increased demand and you have a slightly shrinking workforce. And the problem then, Patricia, is particularly in rural areas, is that traditionally people would be going for, 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 for practices and to be, to be demand. But because of such a shortage now, and particularly the shortage of locums and people getting their holidays, for instance, my sister works as a rural GP uh, in County Limerick and she had to cancel her holidays there, uh, you know, not too long ago because she couldn't get a locum. Oh my so it's goodness. that sort of thing that it, it just makes it less attractive. Then, of course, if you're a new GP coming out, you'll say, well, I want to work as part of a team. I want to work with a group. 
Um, you know, if I work in a single-handed, smaller location, I, am I going to be able to get someone to cover me? Um, all of those sort of reasons make rural practice um, probably harder to recruit for. And this isn't just an Irish phenomenon, Patricia. It's the exact same. In the UK, it's, it's probably a lot worse. Um, Australia struggles to recruit. Canada struggles to recruit. The US struggles to recruit for, 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 for rural areas. And then, of course, we know that, you know, there, there's the government are rolling out more free GP visit cards. And that obviously then is putting more pressure on practices, um, making it harder to get an appointment to see a doctor. It probably is. Now, long term, I think we should have, um, um, with slanted care, we should have universal care and access for everyone because I think that's the right way to do it. But there has to be the capacity to um, to do that. And that's the that's the challenge. And there are a number of solutions. And I welcome the fact, for instance, the, the, the government have announced that they're going to do a review of general practice and see can they uh, change things and bring in some things to change. Because at the moment, the current sort of contract, it's a bit like building a house 40 years ago and adding about 15 different extensions to it eventually it kind of becomes unfit for purpose. So there are things that they can do practically to sort of help rural practices. For instance, one of the things that they could do is provide premises like, like health centres and things like that. Um, because at the moment, if you take over a practice or a, a medical card list, say, in a rural area, all you get is a sheet of paper with your name and your, your, your patients on it. And it's up to you to go away and sort out everything, your premises, your staff, everything else. When if you could employ GPs directly, which the HSE are now beginning to look at, which I think is a good idea, if you can provide more um, health centres. Crucially, I think, which is a key thing, is we need an awful lot more practice nurses because they're a huge resource in practice and they do huge amount of work. Um, so if you can do some of those things, and then also if you can link up practices, rural practices with bigger practices um, and provide sort of that support in terms of holiday cover, in terms of sort of just colleagues, because it can be quite isolating. So there's a lot of practical things that you can do to make uh, rural practice more, um, more attractive. I personally think, Patricia, it's the best job in the world. If I was 18 again, and I'm a good bit away from 18, I would do it again in the morning. And most of my colleagues would as well. Yeah. But it is a, a, there is an increasing challenge in terms of access, in terms of trying to get appointments, in terms of, you know, um, trying to manage all of these things. And we need to scale up. Um, we're training an awful lot more GPs. And most of them are actually staying in Ireland. I, I, I train on the Cork GP scheme here. And for the last number of years, about the last five or six years, they're nearly all staying in Ireland. You're the one or two who travel. But for most of them, they're actually staying around because there's lots of jobs, there's lots of opportunities, and there's a lot of thing, positive things happening. But we need an awful lot more of them. And we need to sort of put a lot of the structures in to make it more attractive so that we can get people to the rural areas. Yeah, because that particular doctor that, that I'm quoting, Dr. Donovan, I mean, bless his heart, he is nearing retirement. But, he, you know, he was even explaining that he had a partner who's retired. He couldn't get anybody to fill that, that role. So he's got, I think, a patient list of 1,400 people doing it on his own on a practice that needs two doctors. So there are obviously some doctors who are really under pressure, like even talking about your own your own sister, like, like that can't keep going. No, it can't. No. And and like to put it in context, Patricia, I, I'm in Blackpool 20 years. When I went for um, my position here, they interviewed eight doctors for this position. I was lucky enough to get it. In Tipperary, uh, a GP retired there uh, about a year ago and the HSE had to advertise it 13 times before they were able to fill the position. 
And really, if you're advertising something 13 times and hoping to get the same result, you know, a different result, you need to start looking at, well, what else can we do? You know, can we sort of employ people? Can we, you know, put it onto the health centre? Can we make it more support? You know, other things that will make it more um, um, attractive um, for, 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 you know, for, for people to apply for these positions. If our trainees are coming out now and finishing their scheme, you know, that's very unattractive for them. If they can walk into a practice where there's already other colleagues and there's support and everything's set up, or if they go to a small rural area and all they're getting is a list and you have to sort everything out yourself, um, which one, and, and they may not be able to get their holidays, of course they're going to pick sort of the group practices and the practices with the more support. So the HSE need to look at that and how are we going to manage that and how are we going to address this? And these aren't rocket science solutions in Scotland, they've done an awful lot of this already because they have very similar sort of challenges um, that we have. And, and they've provided some. And like, it's not about paying people more or anything like that. It's about putting sort of the supports in that make things more attractive. So if I want to go work in a rural area in Carisabine or somewhere else, it's, you know, it's much more attractive than me looking at I'm not going to get my holidays in one place and I'm going to get my holidays and my cover and my support in another you know and you have to look at that and this one size fits all model whether you're in Dublin or you're in rural Donegal or down Carcevina or Mallow you know we need to look at other solutions to sort of fit what the need is there. Mm. Are same day appointments almost a thing of the past? They're not. We have we have still one or two slots this morning. Do you? Okay. Oh, All right. <laughs> um, but, um, no, but 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 you're right. I mean, it's it's an issue of capacity, and I think as single-handed GPs, it's very hard to do all the same. It's very hard to do all the things that have come into primary care, into general practice the last few years. They're great, you know, managing diabetes and all of that. But of course, each one of them takes up all more and more slots, so it gets harder and harder to. Um, to, to have more same-day appointments. You know, we manage to keep a few every day, but it is a struggle. And, and, and as the day goes on, then they, they, they get eaten up. And then you're seeing the situation where South Dock is effectively becoming the safety valve for people who can't get appointments for their GPs. So the demand then for South Dock is, 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 is growing. So we need more GPs, but we need more structures to keep people in the communities and in many different areas as well. And there are many different, like like most problems, there's a number of solutions, but they're not rocket science solutions, Patricia. They're, they're, they're fairly practical things, you know, with primary care centers, more practice nurses, more supports there, um, you know, sort of advice and linking practices as well. You know, so there's lots of different solutions that are fairly practical that don't particularly cost a fortune um, that will sort of secure things. Because what you see, particularly in rural Ireland, you know, we've seen a lot of services slowly go away from it. And what, what we don't want to do is lose another service for, for, for rural Ireland as well. Yeah, and particularly one that was important as your local GP. Um, somebody's asking, could chemists or the pharmacies, could they, do they have a role to play in medicine? They, they have, yeah, it's a very good point. They absolutely do. I think we probably underuse them and we underuse their skills and ability. So I think we need to sort of move away from... The, the doctor has to prescribe everything and um, everything has to go through the doctor and that kind of bottles up um, and things. So I think certainly the chemist could be prescribing lots of things. I mean, they're well able, they're well qualified, they're very well qualified. And I think we could be using their their skills an awful lot more as well. So, um, you know, there's a variety of different sort of solutions um, um, to this issue, not just one. OK, all right. Listen, and you're open a Good Friday. We've been having a discussion this week about on good, good, should Good Friday be a public holiday or not. When you first started in practice, was Good Friday closed? 
Can you remember? No, it was open. Was it always open? Time. Was we're, it? we're open till lunchtime today. All right. Um, so it was always that. Um, okay. Uh, All right. That okay. way, just for kind of origin. Particularly over the weekend, I think people get, you know, with the bank holiday weekend coming up and things like that, you're going to get, you know, children who have temperatures and yeah, last and, minute things. Yeah, and, and it takes like pressure that, off you know. South Dock because they'll be extreme. They're always yeah. extremely busy on, uh, on bank holiday weekends. Listen, have a lovely Easter, uh, John. A pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you for Thanks, that. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Dr. John uh, Sheehan, who is a Blackpool-based uh, doctor. Uh, somebody just into John Paul there says, I get it that doctors, this is a breed on email, I get it that doctors are very busy at the moment, but when you have to call twice uh, asking for a call back, looking for the results of an MRI, wouldn't you think someone would have the decency to call you back? I am talking that all is, I'm taking that all is okay with my results, but I still would like to have the results. Friends of mine are the same, waiting on blood results. I feel this is unfair on um, patients because it can be an anxious time if you've gone for tests waiting on the actual results but I do accept said Breed that GPs are under huge stress at uh, the moment trying to deal with their patients and yeah and that's the that's the problem that we have we just have don't have I, I thought that was interesting to hear John saying we have the same number of GPs that we had 20 or 30 years ago we've doubled the amount of consultants which is terrific but our population is much much higher than it was 20 or 30 years ago and yet we are expecting the same cohort of doctors to deal with you know a huge increase in the population with people needing doctors. Cork today on C103. A school in West Cork has decided to go down the environmentally friendly route to help clear an overgrown area of the school ground. To find out how a herd of goats are getting on I'm joined by Connor Enright who is a teacher at St Brogan's Community College in Abandon. Good morning to you Connor. Morning, Tisha. And I have to say, I love this initiative. And I'm wondering, did you get the idea from Councillor Audrey Buckley and the work done by the goats at the cemetery in Crosshaven? Yeah, I, I'm actually from Crosshaven myself, uh, Patricia. So um, I was up to see the goats a few times and I, I had to move them around um, once or twice as well. Um, and I, I love the work that they were doing there. It was just, I thought it was a brilliant idea um, to kind of clear the place. So um, kind of, uh, I, I got in contact with Audrey and she got me in contact with the farm with the goats and it kind of went from there. Well done, well done. Now tell me the plan for this patch of land where the goats are currently doing the work of clearing it for you. So it's a kind of a, a bit of land that I've had my eye on for a while actually and I've been sort of kind of trying to figure out how to how to use it in a more beneficial way. Our school is growing mad at the moment. Um, so there's kind of very limited space for the students to kind of go at lunchtime and things. So... Um, we're planning on making a little bit of a garden up there maybe and um, maybe maybe a lunch area for students as well um, that, that they can go up there and access kind of during, during the school day. Great. But it's very overgrown, is it? Really overgrown, yeah. It's kind of mainly briars and stuff up there um, and like a, a, like a lot of um, briars and gorse and that's exactly what the goats were eating in a temple really when I saw them the, the first time. I, I couldn't believe it. She'd be perfectly honest <laughs> that they'd actually eat that kind of stuff. But. Yeah, and they do, and they and they and they can work so quickly because yeah. w- without the the goats and the work that the goats are doing and will continue to do, I'm assuming was it machinery you would have to have brought in to have cleared it. Yeah, we, we definitely would have had, had to bring machinery. And um, the, where the where the place is in the school, it's, it's starting up very accessible um, to to big machinery anyway. Definitely, um, what we found actually. Um, in, in a kind of ironic way is that the students have been kind of tramping up a path to the, to the place as well and they've actually 
kind of trample down some of the Breyers as well. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Stephen's <laughs> <laughs> actually doing a bit of a job for us too. <laughs> so, so you got in contact with the farmer who owns the goats. Is there a fee to hire the goats? How does yeah, that work? That's, that's what I was wondering when I um when I kind of when I was kind of setting about this first. Like uh, I I had kind of made a, a few kind of uh, initial. Um, inquiries for funding and stuff like that because I, I don't know how much gold costs to rent. I know there are some groups that I know there are some groups that are renting gold around the place um, to clear ground. Um, but this uh, farmer, she didn't want any money. Uh, she just wanted um, just she just wanted the gold to be returned return safely, and hopefully we can uh, we can do that in the, the next few weeks. So you went, you had to go and collect them, though, did you? Yeah, we did. Okay. That was um, that was a bit of an experience. Uh, as I said, I, I moved them maybe once or twice up in um, Tumbabridi, but I hadn't really handled any gold at any stage. Um, in my life, <laughs> so um, it was trying to get them onto a in, into the trailer um, was kind of a, an experience in itself. Uh, what we realised is that there's a, a matriarchal system with goats. So as soon as you get the um, the, the head honcho and uh, ginger, uh, the rest followed her, uh, and that was uh, that's how we kind of figured it out. Don't you learn something new every day? Yeah. And and I'm they can be quite stubborn creatures, can they? These ones are very placid. Um, are they? We found them actually to be like they're these ones are they're like far from being wild, they're they're very pettish. Um and they're used to being around um, people a lot. I suppose at the time when they were up in Temple Brady, there were streams of people going up to see them um there mm. as well. So they so these ones be very, very used to kind of human contact and stuff like that. So um, how now, how are the pupils reacting? Oh, absolutely love it. Um no. Are are they using it as a bit of an excuse to get out of class to go see the ghost? Yes, they are. <laughs> but also, there um, they, they seems to be a, a massive interest in them. Uh, some of the students would be farmers themselves. They're interested in, in, um, in animals anyway. Yeah. Uh, some students that we have might have never seen um, uh, like a, a farm animal before in their lives and uh, are absolutely fascinated by it. And are they already munching their way through the undergrowth? We've, um, we've actually moved their, their, their pen four times now uh, since, we, since we started. So each, kind of, each time is maybe maybe 50 square metres of an area um, that, they're, that they're reading through. And then, uh, again, we've moved that four times. So um, they're, they're getting through it really, really fast. It's brilliant. It really is brilliant. And <laughs> has any goat escaped yet? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the goat have, they broke loose a few times. Um, there was, uh, there was uh, We were up there with some students one day and one of the goats had gotten out. And we, myself and one of the other teachers, it was our first time trying to actually catch a goat and trying to put him uh, back in. And um, I, I didn't realise that a, a goat could make the noises that it made. <laughs> it was absolutely screaming. <laughs> but, uh, one of the students actually took a video of it, which was, oh. uh, kind of weird, which was going around school for a while and uh, which was very, very funny, I must say. And, and people would love to see Mr. Enright running around after the goat, exactly. trying to grab <laughs> yeah. the goat. But, but obviously you're on the your Easter holidays. Do you have to go in and check on the goats to see how they yeah, are? I, you know, I've been in twice on um, this week so far, so um, they've, they've been fine. And other teachers have been kind of, other teachers that, that are living in the area have been up to see them as well. Um, what we found actually is that two of the goats sort of escape uh, on a regular basis, two of the smaller goats, um, but they don't go very far. They come back in. They, so I was um, I was fixing the fence myself and each time I'd fix a, a piece, he'd show me another place that he was able to go out and um, I couldn't fix all the, the bits. So they, um, they do escape uh, quite a bit. So they're, they're, they're smart enough as well? They are. Yeah. Would you like to see others follow what is, you know, this wonderful eco-friendly way to clear an area? Yeah, I think it's um it's, it's pretty and it's it's kind of a it's a it's a great learning experience for the kids as well. I, I think um kind of seeing the kind of forest fires and stuff done in um my wife's in Valley de Hobbs, seeing them yeah. done in Mount Gabriel this year, it was, it was a really horrible thing. 
And uh, I think that ghosts could definitely kind of serve a purpose of, of mountain areas like that, you know, to kind of cure gorse and stuff like that. I, oh, I oh. actually didn't believe they would eat gorse until I tested them out. And I actually threw one little bit of gorse bush growing kind of up near them and I threw it into them and they were eating it. Like, you know, like that it was a Weedabix or something. It was it was so um so funny. Yeah, because we were, we've only this week been talking about because unfortunately some people have got, have, have got huge bills from the fire department for, for some of the gorse fires. And, yeah, and, and that discussion came up about how do we stop these gorse fires because it's devastating areas. And yeah. I, I think goats could be the solution. I, I think they could be as well, yeah. And they, 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 have, they do use them in, um, I know they use them in, in Wicklow in, um, uh, as well and, and, and um, they do use them in some parts of um, uh, Dublin as well. Uh, up at the sea, I think, to clear, clear grass up there as well. So, and those ones are living sort of sort of wilds themselves. Uh, like, of course, they're very they're very very hardy creatures. They they can kind of survive in the um, in the in the real elements anyway. So you know, it's not that you'd have to actually look after them or, or yeah. lock them up at night. They would do a job themselves. Yeah, it's kind of just a little bit about thinking outside the box. So, how long do you expect to have the the goats with you at 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 St Brogan's? And to be honest, I, I thought it was going to take them a lot longer to, to clear what we had, um, but they seem to be kind of getting through it very fast. So I, I think kind of maybe in the next few weeks we should oh, be, you know, we'll be thinking of bringing them back again. So they'll, okay. they'll spend maybe 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 five or six weeks with us in total. And are they finished the work at the cemetery in Crosshaven? Um, yes. Um, so what they have done in, in Crosshaven was that in, um, after the goats finished off all the, the brambles, they're not mad about grass, so they, they can't survive in this grass alone. Uh, so then they bring in sheep, and the sheep um, will, are kind of um, they're, they're mowers then. So the sheep are keeping the grass down there. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, somebody says, "There's uh, let's not forget the song, the night the goat broke loose on Grand Parade." <laughs> and actually, Barry O'Mahony, who will be reading our news at eleven o'clock, that's his party piece. If anybody's oh, ever out, ask Barry to <laughs> sing that. Listen, it's brilliant. Uh, well done, and you're all enjoying your Easter holidays. Yeah, so far so good, yeah. Good, good. Listen, Connor, thanks for that. And thanks, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is Connor Enright, a teacher at St. Brogan's Community College in Abandon. As I say, I just love that initiative and I love when people kind of think outside the box and do something that is completely environmentally friendly and it's great for the, the pupils of the schools as well to start interacting and getting up close and personal with these goats who are clearing that area for them. Ed wants to know the fact that it is Good Friday. He wants to know the goats on holidays today because it's Good Friday. Listen, I think listening to Conor Enright talking about those goats at uh, St. Brogan's College, they seem to be on a permanent holiday at the moment, uh, Ed. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp. Uh, and we were talking about Good Friday and the pubs and the pubs are now open. John says some pubs in Newmarket still don't open on Good Friday. They've held up with the old uh, tradition. Yeah, yeah. Some people uh, certainly will continue to do that. I don't know how many pubs remain uh, closed, but I remember the year five years ago uh, when they first decided to open, there was a number of pubs stayed with the old traditions. According to John, it still happens in Newmarket. And then somebody says, hi, uh, Patricia. Good Friday was the only day of the year when one pub in our area did did a bit of painting. There was always a huge amount of volunteers uh, to help out with the painting. Uh, says this texter. I know there was another very funny, if I can find it on um, 
Good Friday. Um, there's so many texts coming in. Um, oh, here it is. This is from Maura. Maura, it's a bit of a laugh here when you're talking about Good Friday. Back in the day when pubs closed on Good Friday, there was a golf club in Dublin which was opened on Good Friday. Uh, they had a dog show there. So if you're a member, you, you could go. But if, if you weren't a member, you had to have a dog in order to go to the dog show, which meant you could get a drink. Uh, the famous Brendan Bean, brave as he was, he took a poodle from a neighbour. Only Brendan Bean, says Maura. And off he went to the dog show. Thanks for that, Maura. Thoughts and comments coming in. We spoke about uh, GP practices in the last hour and the worry we have going forward, particularly with so many of our current uh, GPs who are nearing retirement age. Uh, with they reckon between four and five hundred doctors could be gone in the next five years because they will be heading for retirement. There's also, I saw a stat of 14% of GPs over the age of 65 that are still working. Now they're obviously opting uh, to stay working but some of them maybe are in, they don't want to stay working but they just don't want to leave their practice uh, without a GP. So we need to really start thinking outside the box and as, as you know, John, Dr John Sheen was saying we don't need to reinvent the wheel, we can look to other countries and what they've done because we're not the only country in the world that faces this problem of an increased population and not enough GPs and particularly the GPs in the rural practices. They are the ones we've got to encourage young doctors to move to a rural area and to agree to move into, as that Kerry doctor said, to take up a country practice. One listener says Last year, it took nearly six months to find a GP for my husband. Now, my husband is Brazilian. We live in Yall and we could only get him into a practice in Glanmire. He's a private patient. He doesn't have a medical card. GPs are very, very stretched at the moment. Yeah, and I did mention that, that for a lot of GP practices, their lists are closed, be it to private patients, our medical card uh, patients. And the knock-on effect of that, if you talk to anybody who works in South Dock, they are seeing a number of people that they really shouldn't be seen. South Dock is out of our services. It's an emergency. What's happening is if somebody is unwell, they don't have a GP or can't get into their own GP. Then they wait until six o'clock when the South Dock services kicks in and they go there instead, which is putting enormous pressure on South Dock. And believe me, South Dock bank holiday weekends are always a busy time for any of those out of our services so South Dock will be very very busy uh, this this weekend thank you uh, for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 let me stay on Good Friday for a moment because Tony Abandon was on to us to say he had some items that he wanted to bring along to the Bandon Civic Amenity Centre and he popped along today only to discover it was closed he said when he got to the gates of the civic community site, there was a note up saying that it was closed. But Tony said when he checked the website, the website said it was open. And he said he's not the only one to get caught out by this. He said as he was driving away, there was at least six cars behind him also uh, pulling up. Now, we got on to Cork County Council and they say, yes, Tony is right. The civic community site is closed today. It will reopen tomorrow, Tony, if that's of any use to you. Now, I know I was out in the civic community site in Mallow on Tuesday and I had to check firstly online as to what days they're open because once upon a time the civic community sites were open every day we know now that that's not the case so you always have to check in advance on the website uh, and but when I went out to the civic community site it was open and again loved the civic community sites I think the people who work out there are just incredible they're so helpful I always think those civic community sites are spotlessly clean they're so well run they really are a credit to the staff and they're a credit to uh, Cork County Council but they did did have a notice up saying that they were, they were going to be closed on Good uh, Friday. And John Paul tells me that Cork County Council, they 
we know we've had this discussion about being a public holiday or a bank holiday and it's not but Cork County Council and I'm assuming the City Council is, is the same they're all off today they close so I'm assuming it would be the same for the workers at the Civic Community site but I sense your frustration Tony if you've packed up the car and you head off to recycle and to do the right thing by going to a Civic Community site it's frustrating but it's of any use to you if you're free tomorrow and you can pop along tomorrow they are open 0818 103 103 and then on that whole issue that I kicked off the programme on on Good Friday and the alcohol ban that got lifted five years ago now since pubs were allowed to open on Good Friday and there are still some people who are still not happy that that decision was made. Noreen in Canturk says regardless of your religious belief. Noreen says I feel Good Friday should be a public holiday. A little bit like Christmas. She says most other countries observe it uh, while we uh, haven't kept the observation of Good Friday in this country. Noreen remembers when she was young, not that long ago, back in the 80s, she said nearly everywhere would have been closed. Maybe an odd corner shop might have opened. And she's questioning now, what harm would it be to return to that? Give everybody a day off and allow people to relax. Today's world is all about rushing and racing. Uh, No wonder we have so much mental health issues due to the strain that people are putting themselves under. So Noreen would like to go back to the way it was where nearly everything was closed. Uh, on um, Good Friday, and actually, when you say that it is honoured in and it is observed in another of other countries, somebody, um, one of our listeners, obviously did a bit of research during the week on this. Somebody sent in a text saying 126 countries recognise Good Friday as a public holiday including our nearest neighbours, the UK. It's a bank holiday, a republic holiday in the UK uh, today, but it isn't here in this country. Thanks for that, Noreen. And then Nora says, I think it is a disgrace that Good Friday is not only a public holiday, but it should be an official bank holiday. Every place should close like it used to do once upon a time. Good Friday is not the same as an ordinary day. Nora says it's a sacred day. The day that Jesus died for us, a very special day and it should be respected. Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead as well, I also feel the pubs should be closed. They had to close during Covid times. So why not close for Easter and for Christmas? Which Nora says are very special days to her and other people. Keep Easter and Christmas special. Please don't have it as a money-making racket. They are sacred days. And I absolutely accept that, Nora. They are sacred days uh, to people who have a very deep religious belief. But the flip side of that is not everybody has that deep religious belief that you have. And to them, for others, they just see Good Friday as another day of the week or it's the day that leads in to uh, Easter Sunday. But I absolutely accept that... um, and respect your views on it. And what I always say to people like that who get, you know, sort of upset and feel that their religion is 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 somehow being taken away or is it's you know, is some way being denigrated. What I always say to people, if it's a very special and religious day to you, then you honour it. You honour the traditions that you always did. Like for example, if shops and shops are open and pubs are open and, and hairdressers are open, etc. Then just don't go. You can still continue the respectful way you always have felt about Good Friday and honour it the way you did when everything was, was closed. And then for people who don't see it as a very special day and don't see it as a religious day, if they want to head out and um, do their shopping or whatever else that they want to do or go to work, as so many people have to go to work uh, today, then uh, so be it. Live and let live. 0818 103 103. And by the way, 
later on in the programme, we're going to be talking about this. It's uh, it's it's National Change Your Name Day, Name Yourself Day. Uh, and the whole idea is one well, of those fun days. The whole idea is for you to stop and think if you could have selected your Christian name would you have changed it? Do you like the Christian name that was given to you by your parents? Or if you could select it yourself, what would you change your name to? And we're going to be talking about that in kind of a fun way a little bit later on. If anybody has any suggestions on if they would like to change their names, uh, tell us, please. And I mentioned earlier that what often happens with people, for whatever reason, for uh, they, they're christened one name but yet they'll go by something completely different. It might be a pet name or, or, or whatever. And it's only when the passport comes out that you realise somebody is called something completely different. Well, that prompted a listener to say, uh, my mother was christened Sheila Monica, but is known as Monica. She wanted four names. So she picked Maria Goretti for her confirmation. So she then became Sheila Monica Maria Goretti. And by the way, also it's her and her twin Marion's birthday tomorrow. So I'd appreciate it if you could send best wishes, best wishes to the Blanchfield twins. And that's from Rosie. And Rosie says, I'll be killed for saying this, but happy 83rd birthday, ladies. Happy birthday uh, to them. A big birthday for them uh, tomorrow. But there you go. Sheila Monica Maria Goretti. That's a, that's a fine, fine name indeed. But that's your story is exactly the same as my sister-in-law's uh, story, who was christened Isha Maria. And all we've ever known her as is Maria. And it's only when the passport comes out that the Isha bit gets uh, recognised. Don't know why that happens, but it does. If anybody else has examples of being actually christened something but called something completely different, uh, let us know. But likewise, if you would like to change your name, if you didn't like the Christian name you were given, what would you be changing it to? 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Cronin's Hardware in Ballylicky. They are looking for two store assistants. It's to work three days per week. Good flexibility is needed to work between Monday and Saturday. Now, you need a knowledge of agri and construction products. That would be an advantage. CVs, please, to marketing at cronin'shardware.ie. Fully qualified stylist wanted for McCroom. Full appartamars are av- available. You need to email studiom.mcroom at gmail.com. Construction labourers, ground workers, machine drivers and all types of carpenters are wanted for jobs throughout Cork 021-233-9120. And the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow have a vacancy for accommodation assistant. CVs to Donna at info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. You'll find all the details and further information by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, recommendations made by the Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity has left the Irish Farmers Association with very serious concerns. And to discuss these concerns, I'm joined by Tim Cullinan, who's president of the IFA. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Now, I suppose one of the headline recommendations is the proposal to introduce a new sector-specific levy on agricultural products. Do you believe such a a charge ultimately would end up being carried by the farmers? 
I do, but look, first of all, I have to say, you know, you're right. I would have significant concerns around the number, of, and those are only recommendations, but, you know, I do believe that the group has steered away from the brief that were given by the government. You know, it was around biodiversity and protecting biodiversity. And look, we all understand our obligations around climate change and biodiversity, but you're right. Like, well, there's a number of key issues I have highlighted there in the last day or so. And the first one is to say yourself the, the recommendation to introduce a new sector-specific levy or charge on agricultural exports as well as on retailers. And look, um, I was on this radio station with you a year ago when you know, we had serious concerns trying to raise the price across a number of sectors that farmers were uh, receiving from retailers. And you know, any levy, again, ultimately, definitely will make its way back to uh, the primary producer. And similarly, you know, we're an exporting nation here in this country and so we export in the region of 90% of the produce, in particular around dairy and beef, we export it out of this country and to put a levy on, on those exports as well definitely would see its way right back to the primary producer. And, you know, if we look at some of our more vulnerable sectors at the moment, and in particular the horticulture sector, where we have almost just 100 farmers left in that business, and they deal directly with retailers and, you know, the difficulty they have without introducing another levy. So, absolutely, this is the wrong thing to do. And and the one thing, Tim, that I, I was, you know, trying to look through the recommendations, and, and I, I can't quite work this out, how would this levy improve biodiversity? Well, Patricia, I would agree with you. I can't understand why, and that's why I'm saying, you know, I believe that the, this group has you know, steered outside the remit they were giving by the government. So I can't see how it could, but all I know of what it would do is add more cost and, and more burden on farmers. And I suppose there's another area there I think we should mention as well. The report also includes recommendations on the phasing out of environmentally what they call environmentally harmful subsidies in the agricultural and food sector. And I'm reading this line, quoting it from, the, from this uh, recommendation, the report on the recommendations. And you know, as we all know, the reason that there was a CAP payment put in place many, many years ago was to ensure that farmers could produce food at a price that consumers would be able to afford to, to, to buy and consume um, food. And... Uh, if we were to go down this road, and the other area which is of utmost importance here, if you look at the size of our farms here in Ireland, on average there's 80 acres per farm, and if we were to go down this road, we would end up in a situation like New Zealand and maybe US where you have massive factory farms, and that's not what we're about. And there's a whole social aspect to this as well. Like the CAP, you know, that money it comes to farmers, but you have a trickle-down effect there where it gets out into the rural communities, you know, the smaller towns and villages. Yeah, the shops, the, the marts, social... the co-ops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, we know, and and, and Tim, I, I would hear from a lot of the farmers uh, contacting this programme, farmers rely on those CAP as, as subsidies. I mean, the fear would be with the smaller farmers, it could actually push them out of farming. Of course it would. And look, we're involved in another uh, disagreement with the government currently at the moment, or some of those payments are going to be delayed by a month in, in, in this calendar year. And you are so right, they're so important to farmers. Farmers are relying on those to pay their bills when it comes September, October time. And even, you know, I, I can't understand why uh, 
the, this group, this biodiversity group that was put together by the government was steering in this direction in the first place. And the other the other area that obviously we have grave concern around as well is, uh, included in this report as well, is a recommendation that people are encouraged to consume a more plant-based diet. Now, And, and I, I do know the chair, sorry, the Citizens' Assembly said that that was one of the most robust discussions uh, was this one uh, to get people to eat le- less, less meat. Yeah, and I suppose if we just go back to December where there was um, a meeting in Dublin where scientists scientists from around the world came together and actually signed a declaration so that red meat is, is not bad for you. you know, if it's consumed in, in a balanced diet, and I always say as well, it's not up to me as a leader of farmers or, or any other group you know, to, to advise people one way or the other what, what diet they should consume. So that's the choice that people need to be able to make for themselves, Patricia. Yeah, and I, but, but I do know they changed the wording, because I'm wrong in saying eat less meat, they changed the wording rather than saying encouraging people to eat less meat to eating more plant-based yeah, diets. Yeah. You know, no, you're right, you're right. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what the report says. It's, a, it's to encourage people to consume more plant-based diets. Well, I mean... What I'm saying there is, I mean, that's a decision. I think we, as citizens, we all make that decision for ourselves. We don't, we don't need any group telling us what we should or shouldn't eat. Yeah, and I know the report looks at Quilta and getting uh, Quilta uh, to consider more more biodiversity. And I know they in particular looked at Irish water, particularly about new water treatment uh, plants. I mean, there's a lot of good in this report. Would you agree? I look. Uh, Absolutely, and I'm just highlighting the areas where I have concerns. Yeah, You're yeah. right, and we all know with Irish water, and we know the problems with uh, water treatment plants up and down the country, absolutely, they need to be upgraded, and there's no point point in blaming farmers for everything, you know, so there is a job of work to be done there. And also, look, with Quilcha, I mean, we've seen what has happened there with the whole licensing and um, situation for the last number of years all right albeit it has improved somewhat in the last year but the test of that is there was only 300 hectares planted by farmers last year so that is not working and you know we have i mean we see more recently the whole row with um the the uh, fund the investment fund uh which was going to get involved in planting and you know it it really looked like a, a facility for Quilcher to be able to obtain the premiums, you know, and currently there's a proposal uh, that has to be signed off by the Commission of a budget of 1.3 billion for that forestry sector. So I, I would agree there, a lot of work has to be done there and needs to be done. Okay, so what what happens now? As we say, this is the Citizens' Assembly. This is their uh, recommendations. The report gets considered by an Oireachtas uh, committee. Will that Oireachtas committee engage with groups like yours? Yeah, well, normally uh, in, in the Oireachtas committees, any, any issue that relates to agriculture or our sector, normally they would invite us in to do a presentation. So, look... I would sincerely hope that that's what would uh, would be the process here. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the Rockless Committee you know, that make decisions and take them to Dáil Aird and, and see would be considered there. So I assume that's where it's going to go. And obviously, absolutely, Patricia, we, we will engage in that process. 
Okay, and just um, seeing as, as you touched on it, those uh, delayed uh, payments, we had some farmers actually contact us last week or the week before. We had some TD on and they were asking about the delayed payments. Do you know what the update on that is? And is, is, that, is, that, is that delayed payment, is, is it definitely going ahead? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have uh, a delegation that's led by our Deputy President, Brian Rush, and they were, in, uh, they were invited into a meeting uh, a number of weeks ago and they were told at that meeting that there would be a delay of one month in the ANC. Do we know and, why? Yeah, the, the, the reason they were given is is it's a new system. They didn't really explain to them that it's a new system, new IT system, but uh, immediately I... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Both to the minister for a meeting to get clarity on this. And uh, I'm still waiting for a response from the minister. So we didn't engage. There was a further meeting this week. But look, the responsibility here now is on the minister to come back and come clean on this and explain why you're right. And furthermore, all of the delegations were in there, weren't made aware in the day that there was a letter going out to farmers telling them this this delay was going to take place. So uh, our position is very clear in this. We need the minister to come out now, Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, and explain exactly what's happening here. Yeah, I think that's what happened. We had some farmers were shocked when, when, when they got yeah. this uh, with this letter, uh, particularly pushing it back to mid-October. You know, and one of the points I made, September is a very expensive month if you've got children with going back to school and, and college, etc. People uh, are waiting on this money. Uh, that's the, exactly. And you know, a lot of contractors are waiting on this money. You're right. Families with children going back to school and they're relying on this money. I mean, the public service, if they were going to be, to- if they were told that they would have to wait a month for their salaries, you'd see the uproar around the country. So, look, it's, it's not good enough. Uh, the ANC is a very important payment and, you know, it really goes into the heart of rural Ireland. And again, as I said earlier, the, the, the important point about our exports and all of this funding coming from CAP, it goes right into the local community. It's not just the farmer, Patricia. That's why you know this, we are very, very concerned about what has happened here. And uh, furthermore, the risk here is if this is moved forward a month, would the department or the government be thinking of doing this on an ongoing basis? So that's why we want absolute clarity around this before we agree anything on this. OK, all right. Keep us posted on, on that one, uh, Tim, because there's a number of local farmers very upset by it. Listen, thank you for that. Have a, have a lovely Easter and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Patricia. Uh, bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Tim Cullinan, who is president of the IFA. Now, all this week, we've had a huge reaction to our Racing Home for Easter Festival. And, of course, we give away our main competition uh, prize uh, later on uh, today. But to chat about the festival and what people can expect this weekend, I'm joined in studio by Andrew Hogan, who is the manager at the Cork Race Course Mallow. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, uh, Patricia. And you, you are very welcome. Three days of uh, racing. Is the race course all set and ready. Yeah, no, everything is in place now. 
thanks to all the, the team out there and uh, no looking forward to a great weekend we kick off on Saturday with Social Saturday and some top class flat racing with Aidan O'Ryan and Ryan Moore down with a group one winners on Saturday so brilliant flat racing on Saturday and um, with music uh, after racing by Bad Penny and then everybody will be, be heading into town and bo- all nights and um, I just like to thank the support to the Vintners and they have music every night yeah, so every, plenty all the and different pubs check in locally, locally yeah, to yeah. see what's going on yeah. um, no they're, they're brilliant and very supportive of it and obviously the town will be buzzing for the whole weekend um, and then Sunday is our main day the most stylish Sunday um, and we have a thousand euro cash prize up for uh, grabs for the best dressed lady as well as overnight stay and spa treatments for two in Fitzgerald's Woodlands Hotel in Adair so a fantastic who's, who's price who's judging um, styled by Sharon so okay. car, a good Cork woman so okay, fantastic. and doing it um, so it's for, for all the ladies get dressed up you never know you yeah ne- no you definitely know. that's it yeah definitely all of them get dressed up and come out is that great... quite a special day when it's the ladies day is it always is it kind of special yeah it's definitely special to see it adds adds a bit of extra excitement to the uh, to the day um, and I suppose there's something for everyone on the day so from you know if you're not really into the racing as much yeah. you come for the social side and for the ladies day competition and to see see the fashion and you have and a great the, spread of young and the old atmosphere yeah. I always I mean I'm not I wouldn't be a racing fan but I love going to the racing in that there's just this great atmosphere at it it, it really is lovely and as you say on a day like ladies day it's fantastic just even just go around and just observe everyone it's fantastic yeah no it's it's um, definitely definitely really adds in a lot of colour to the day as well and so what's the racing like for Sunday top class racing again on Sunday I suppose the Shakan Pursuar six time group grade one winner um, trained by Willie Mullins he'll be the favourite in the, the bar one grade three chase that's the feature race and um, so no we've a brilliant national hunt card on Sunday so from everything fashion racing music you name it, we have it there on Sunday. Sunday's Sunday's a big day, okay. and then we move on to the family day on on Monday. Um, again, we have loads of free entertainment for all the young race scores. Um, from the art attack zone, DJ party, magicians, puppet shows, face painters, and I suppose we have a petting zoo and. To, to kind of the association with racing we've a racing simulator down there so the oh. kids can get up and actually practice riding out finishes on a mechanical horse is so that only for the kids we had a bit of competition last year we had a few of the adults we had, <laughs> and it's amazing when people have a few drinks in them yeah. <laughs> look at me look how good I am yeah. so that's that's we the, some of the kids were getting a bit put out actually we had two individuals that had um the Kevin O'Ryan he'd be a presenter with Racing TV and Brian Arnold from yeah. Iris they had a competition last year but the, um, between the two of them on it but um, there was an awful lot of kids very upset that they were skipping the <laughs> queue so <laughs> and you could see dads pushing the kids out of the way my turn my yeah, turn yeah and of course also we have on Mondays we have a pony race um, it's run by the Do Hallow Pony Club oh, so it's great we'll actually have 
two pony races straight after racing on Sunday so that's brilliant to see up and coming jockeys of yeah. the future so I think a few of the, the O'Sullivans I'm not sure did Michael O'Sullivan win it but Alan won wow. it a few years ago wow. so you look where they are now yeah. so yeah. Um, uh, no, I'm really looking forward to that now. yeah so a great it's, weekend it's terrific and weather wise I mean obviously you've got to keep an eye yeah. on the weather for 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 the going is good and good to soft and wh- whatever the terminology is. What's the weather looking the like? The weather um at the moment where it's dry on Saturday. There's a possibility of a couple of mil on Sunday and not too much and a bit of rain moving into um from Sunday night into Monday. Um but we're I'm keeping fingers crossed and I'm always the optimist that it'll push out. It definitely has reduced the quantities that we were getting. Yeah, have reduced have changed. changed. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping it'll push all out yeah. into and Tuesday does. and we have a great weekend. Yeah, even but in if, 24 hours it can change. change. But if, if, if it is raining in that, like we've brilliant faci- facilities in Mallow and we also have a huge marquee as well. So there's plenty of cover for everybody. If we do get a shower, there's plenty of shelter. and You're not and going to get wet. Get, get wet, no. Okay, and for people who don't want to drive, who might like to go along, and have a few drinks and whatever are you running the shuttle buses? Yeah the shuttle buses will be running from Mallow Town and the train station over the three days we run them every day so and they'll be back into the town and train Again, station yeah. That's great that's, so. a, that's a brilliant facility I have to say somebody wants to know is there a charge for children under 12? No under 14 or 14. free Okay once it so was a You're looking for something to do There you go <laughs> There you go <laughs> of And someone else is wondering what time you've never meant you didn't say what time racing is starting um, at Yeah starting a quarter past one on Saturday at ten past one on Sunday and it one fifty on Monday, so okay, and that's be the, there for one o'clock every day. Yeah, that's day. The, that's yeah. the race underway. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, the under race. Time. So I think okay. it'll open an hour and a half before then. Okay, all right. All systems go, and tickets are on sale. I know we've been mentioning this all, all week. You can purchase your tickets in advance. You can purchase your tickets in advance, and I'd recommend people to do that because um, there's some great deals in advance. But the big thing is you won't have to queue, especially on Sunday. There's it's queues a mile busy. long going, yeah. and if you have your Take an advance, you'll scan straight in. There'll oh, be no delays. That's the, that's the best way to do it. Corkracecourse.ie. Andrew, uh, best of luck with it. Have you any tips? <laughs> I'll ha- I'll, if you, you'll meet me if you're there racing. I'm only giving them to race course, oh. so you'll have to come in the door on Sunday and I'll have all the winners for you then. Or any of the days. So, very quietly so nobody else hears. Yeah, and I'd also, I'd just like to thank everybody who supports us, all the people of Mallow. It's a fantastic festival. Vintner, Spon, everybody who gets behind it we really appreciate their support and all the locals that's that's who make the festival and also the amount of people that come back to Mallow for the weekend um, to come racing and enjoy the weekend so. ah, listen it's a brilliant facility to have in town uh, as well Andrew listen thank you for that and enjoy it yourself as well because oh. I know the <laughs> amount of work that you put into this but thank you for joining us in studio that is Andrew Hogan who is the manager of Cork uh, Racecourse Mallow good morning to you some of your commentary coming in on issues we have been uh, discussing I spoke about biodiversity and I was speaking with Tim Cullinan of the IFA and he was giving us his reaction to the Citizens uh, Assembly. They were asked to take a look at biodiversity. He reckons, uh, Tim Cullinan from the IFA, reckons they've steered into areas that they shouldn't have steered into. I'm sure the Citizens Assembly uh, won't agree with that, but not all farmers are happy with some of the recommendations from the agricultural point of view when it comes to biodiversity. Michael says, morning, Patricia. 
Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I listened to uh, Dr. Avine Nisulawan. Now, Avine Nisulawan, she is the person who chaired the 99-person assembly. And actually, she was the one who admitted that one of the most robust discussions they had was on the, the... recommendation that the public should be encouraged to switch switch to a more plant-based diet and it got into such a robust discussion that they actually changed the wording they were initially going to recommend that people ate less meat but they changed the wording to rather than people eat less meat but people should be encouraged to eat more plant-based diet I mean half a six it's six and one half a dozen of another isn't it but anyway they actually changed the wording so I'd love to have really heard all of the discussions that went on with that regard to me that suggests there were some people part of the Citizens Assembly who didn't agree uh, with them recommending that we switch to a more plant-based diet anyway uh, Michael said that he listened to uh, Dr uh, Avon O'Sullivan who chaired the uh, Assembly on biodiversity and it was put to her about farming and Michael reckoned she completely ignored uh, the question um, particularly when she was asked about are farmers not the main custodians of our biodiversity he says the idea of eating more plant based food, Michael thinks it's crazy, the imports of some of these plants have a massive carbon footprint, there's a need for balance here, farming says Michael is on a knife edge already and smaller scale farms especially who are much less intensive they're the ones who look after nature most of all says Michael and the IFA certainly are coming at and anyone who is critical of the recommendations on agriculture in this report are saying are fearful for the smaller farmers the family run farms farms that have often been in generations for many many years I mean if there was to be any cut in their cap su- subsidies it could literally it could put some of them out of uh, business uh, completely and I know in the report now it's quite a detailed report from the Citizens Assembly and these are just recommendations they do have to go to the Oireachtas for further debate but it says in it that current state policy on the management of biodiversity on agricultural lands according to the report is not sufficient and they say it requires fundamental review and change to support and incentivise farmers and landowners to protect and restore biodiversity and I think I have to agree with Michael some of the best custodians of our land when it comes to restoring biodiversity are some of those particularly those smaller farmers not all of them listen I'm, I'm, I'm not saying every farmer is right in what they're doing but I think the, the majority are because they know that this is their future and if they want to hand on the land to a future generation then they certainly have to uh, look after it but Denise in West Cork says Patricia on the subject of farming for years the IFA has supported the use of pesticides burning of gorse and spreading of slurry on land that is that has resulted in a reduction of biodiversity and pollution wake up to what you are doing to our country. I hope the generation coming up will be more aware and will stop using some of these awful practices. Well, listen, I think anyone within the farming community would say they didn't get it all right. But I think, you know, as the years have gone by and times are changing, I think they are starting to learn and they are starting to realise if they want to pass the land on, then they have to be as environmentally friendly as possible. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 086 
0818-103-103. And someone else says, Patricia, when you hear a report like that, that is what you get for having the Greens in the doll. Well, no, you can't say that because this is the Citizens' Assembly, which is 99-person assembly, which is made up of 99 citizens from around uh, the country and they don't ask them they're, they're, they wouldn't all be Green Party members they wouldn't be all Fianna Fáil members no party and none it's a cross section of the community now it will go to a Roctus committee and then they will just look at it and they will decide what recommendations um, which of the recommendations from this report they're going to pass into law it's not to say that everything in this report will be passed into law there will be a lot of debate between now and then. 0818103103, a reminder that we haven't done our Racing Home for Easter Festival competition yet. We'll play it one more time. We will be holding it off. We'll be doing it in the next hour. Don't enter. I can already see some people have entered. Your your entry won't get included in the draw. You can't enter until we play the sound effect, which is and they're off. And when we play the sound effect, you then have 10 minutes to enter and you could be in with the draw. You could become today's winner of the two tickets to go racing on Easter Sunday. And then before the close of the programme, five names will go into the hat and one person gets the prize upgraded, which includes gorgeous dinner and a meal at the restaurant out at the race course and of course the overnight stay in uh, Springford Hall. Some of your calls and emails that will be coming into this programme. Of course you can always email corktoday at c103.ie even when we're not on air. Feel free to share anything uh, with us or if you want us to look into something. Uh, Daniel has been on uh, with a question. This is by email on the local council's refurbishment grant. These are the vacant property refurbishment uh, grants. Uh, Daniel in his email says uh, he applied uh, months ago. He's waiting on a council engineer report and he said he's waiting now about three months. The council engineer has been on site. All of that is done and he's wondering what is the time frame for a result? Now, normally when I get an email in like this, I would be saying straight away, I'll get John Paul to email the council. But of course, it's Good Friday, so they're not working and they'll be off for Easter. So it'll be next week, Daniel, before we'll be able to get an email to Cork County Council. I did a quick search online just to see. I mean, there's lots of information online about this vacant property refurbishment grant which is it's a terrific scheme that is administered by all of the different local authorities but obviously it's a government funded scheme and this is the scheme where you can get up to 30,000 to renovate a vacant property you can get an an additional 20,000 on top of that if it's derelict so you can get 50,000 if it is derelict and of course you can also apply for further grants people like Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland they've got grants to improve energy efficiency and I imagine anyone who's going to renovate a vacant property they're going to do it to the best that they can so I imagine they'll go down that energy uh, efficient uh, energy efficiency route uh, as well but of course in all of the information the grant must be approved before the work begins and obviously that's where Daniel is finding himself he's ready to start the work but he's waiting for the grant approval I can't through all of the information I'm looking at and actually if you go on citizensinformation.ie there's a really good thread in that with all of the information on it but I can't find anything about a timeline of how long it actually takes I know there are there is some changes coming up to it for example from the 1st of May the grant is going 
going to be extended to people who want to rent out the property initially the grant as it stands you have to live in the property but from the 1st of May people will be able to do up a vacant property or a derelict property and they'll be go, they'll, they'll be able to rent it once it is refurbished that's a slight change on that particular uh, grant and obviously that's to do with the housing crisis and the number of people looking for rental properties at the moment so that change comes in on the 1st of May but that's of no use to Daniel he's looking for a date so we'll put it out there to see has anybody else particularly he said it was three months ago he, he's waiting on the engineer's report about three months so obviously at the start of the year the engineer came out and looked at the particular property that Daniel wants to do the refurbishment work on and obviously the fact he's applying for it at the moment he wants it to be his main property so has anybody else applied for this vacant property refurbishment grant if so, how long did you actually wait on the approval so that Daniel can get the work done? And in the meantime, Daniel, if you can have a bit of patience with us, I'll get John Paul to send an email off first thing on Tuesday morning to the council and we'll see if we can get an answer for you on that. 0818 103 103. And a reminder to you that we are still, we are going to be later on in this hour talking about name changes because it's just one of those fun pieces. Today is National Name Yourself Day. So if you had the choice, if you if you don't particularly like your Christian name and you could change it to something else, what would you change it to? But I'm also looking for people to share stories of how you were christened one name and for whatever reason and maybe known to you and maybe unknown to you you're not called the name that you're actually christened by. A couple of examples in on that. Uh, my sister was christened Josephine de Maria de Josephine de Maria seemingly it was my grandmother's idea but my mam always called my sister Mary <laughs> so from Josephine de Maria to Mary and Maura says our names my official name is Mary Teresa all my life I've been known as Maura it seems something to do with the Marys people seem to either change to Mary or they had a Mary and they didn't get called to that at all is Maura a derivative of Mary though Mary Teresa, I wonder. And I'm assuming on your passport, you're there as Mary Teresa, but you've been known forevermore as Maura. And I take it you'll take that one to the grave with you. 0818 103 103. And I heard Barry on the news with the property tax that's led to some people saying, what's that about the property tax, including Joe, who feels the property tax, the local property tax is a very unjust tax on the people of Ireland. Uh, Joe was wondering, should we not get some of our money back? We've paid thousands over the years on this local property tax and at the end of the day, it's on top of the money we've either already paid for our house, if you own your house, or the money you're paying at the same time as paying a mortgage. He feels it is very unfair. And the reason that it's been mentioned is the revenue commissioners have come out and have admitted that they are now issuing thousands upon thousands of letters to homeowners warning them that they haven't paid their local property tax for this year. And of course, a letter coming from revenue means you could face an enforcement action. The tax authorities say they've issued 150,000 letters to property owners who haven't paid yet or else haven't set up a payment plan 
to revenue. Property owners who fail to do so may be subject to a range of collection and enforcement actions by the taxman. That includes mandatory deduction at source. They can go into your workplace and take it out of your salary. They can also take it out of your pension. Revenue also has the powers to withhold a tax clearance certificate. They can apply surcharges on income tax. They can look at going through your corporation tax, your capital gains returns, if you've any of those, or they can offset other tax refunds against what you owe in your local property tax arrears. All residential property owners were required to set up their 2023 payment method and you needed to do it by January of this year with the revenue commissioners. Now, the head of revenues, local property tax section, is a lady by the name of Katie Clare. And she's quoted as saying that some property owners haven't yet paid or they haven't set up a payment arrangement and they are now leaving themselves open to collection and enforcement by uh, revenue. 314 million euro of the tax has already been collected in the first three months of this year. And the tax collection agencies say that the current payment compliance rate is 90%. I mean, the bulk of people have have paid um, but there is this smaller uh, proportion who haven't paid and who haven't met all their obligations so 10% of the people that owe haven't paid payment arrangements for 2023 were in place for over 1.7 million properties and that included about 350,000 people who do an annual direct debit and of course if you did an annual direct debit check your bank statements because the money would have gone out on the 21st of uh, March but revenue are saying large numbers continue to uh, defray defray revenue uh, despite its extensive powers to force compliance. She says they've issued now 150,000 letters. It's a lot of people and um, property owners who haven't yet paid uh, are others set up a payment plan. You know, some people pay it weekly, some people pay it monthly, but these are the people who haven't engaged at all and she's now urging those property owners who haven't made arrangement or if you haven't paid your local property tax you need to take immediate action and revenue recently insisted by the way that it hadn't made a mistake because some people received threatening letters claiming that they hadn't paid the tax or that they hadn't set up a payment arrangement and that's despite the fact that some of the people who got these letters insisted that they did have arrangements in place and I know for some people it seemed like the direct debits that they had set up for some reason disappeared uh, and there was people got into sort of didn't like the idea of getting this threatening letter from revenue because they were led to believe that their direct debits that had been there for many years was still there and there was now revenue were saying that it was nothing to do with them and I never quite got to the bottom of that whether that was a banking uh, issue or not and of course we know that the rules for the local property tax uh, changed last year we did countless interviews about it which required all homeowners to do a new valuation on your property and that was the first valuation request since 2013 and the idea being the property has gone up between 2013 and last year 2022 so you needed to self-declare to revenue how much your property was worth and of course last year also there was a change in that new homes that had to date been exempt from the property tax they all now need to pay it as well Revenue said that if property owners need assistance in completing their local property tax return or if they have any queries please contact them they are available the local property tax helpline now I'm assuming revenue would be 
public servants I'm assuming they're not working today but maybe next Tuesday if you want to give them a call you can 01-738-3626 but they are warning about 150,000 letters have been sent out to property owners reminding them that they haven't paid their property tax 0818-103-103 you can stop texting on our racing home for Easter festival yes I did play this and they're off I played it just before I went into the Cranberries song and I can see a huge number of people heard it and they were texting and WhatsApping immediately. So our final winner of a pair of tickets to go racing on Easter Sunday is Maura O'Connell in Ballydesmond. Congratulations to you, Maura. You're definitely going racing on Sunday. But stay tuned because before the close of the programme today, we will put all five names into the hat and one listener will have their prize upgraded, which will include a reserve table at the restaurant in Cork Racecourse, a four course meal and then an overnight stay in Springford Hall Country House Hotel located 10 minutes from the racecourse. And tickets are available at corkracecourse.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, a number of events happening this Good Friday. For example, there's a fundraising bingo going ahead in Drina Parish Hall. It's on tonight at 8. Entry is free and all ages are welcome. There'll be a raffle on the night with fabulous spot prizes with all proceeds going to Drina Community Preschool. A table quiz in aid of the Matthew Crowley Fund will be held in Garvey's Bar in Charleville tonight at 8. Now this is to help Matthew to send him to the World Cup wheelchair soccer. That's going ahead in Sydney in October. Lots of spot prizes and the wonderful Angus McAnally will be your compare tonight. Kildallery Bingo is on tonight at 8. That's in the store at the Creamer Yard. Doors will open at 7. Eyes down from 8 with a jackpot of €1,480. And Bingo continues in Mallow GAA Complex tonight at 8.15. Their jackpot is a biggie, €5,700. And Timalig Bingo, they'll hold a special night tonight, half past 8, with a special raffle and they promise lots of Easter eggs. And the RNLI fundraising committees at Court McSherry and Kinsale Lifeboat Stations have come together to hold a fundraising tractor, car, truck, bike run on next Easter Monday on the coastal routes from Court McSherry to Kinsale. Registration and refreshments will be at Barry Row GAA grounds from 11am next Monday morning with takeoff at 12.30. You're please asked to support this fundraising event in aid of the two local RNLIs, Court McSherry and Kinsale. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie I'm just passing a text in from a listener saying any idea why traffic is at a standstill on Main Street in Mallow? It has been for the last 10 to 15 minutes. Okay. I don't know whether it's just busy traffic, but even busy traffic, you would be at a standstill for 10 to 15 minutes. So John Paul is going to look into it. And if anyone in the meantime knows... Can you relay the information to us, please, either to John Paul at 0818 103 103 or text or WhatsApp 0862 103. 103103. Now, Bally Desmond man Andy Moynihan has decided to reverse a car around the Duhallow area on Easter Sunday and at the same time he's going to raise funds for Pieta House in advance of the reverse run. I'm delighted to say that Andy Moynihan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Andy. 
Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. Now, I have to ask you, have you done anything like this before? No, I have not. No, it's my first time doing anything like this. Do you... I assume you have to practice, do you? Yeah, I might get a little bit of practice in now this evening, so I will in tomorrow evening. Just a small few samples, maybe. To get ready for it. So, so you've had no practice done so far? No, not the car, no, not it, no. But are you, are you, are you a good man to reverse the car? I am, yeah, I have no problem. I never had yet, and I, don't, I hope I won't have one Sunday. <laughs> okay, so talk me through the route that you're going to take and how long you expect the journey to take. Yeah, I'm leaving Belly, maybe meeting Belly, it's been a uh, county shop at half eleven. Okay. Sunday morning and we're striking off at 12 and we're going to Kishkeem into Butterbree into the market down to Kentork and we're going to take a break then we're um, just as I can talk we might stop for 20 minutes have a cup of tea and head on then for Bantier and out into Rakul into Street, into Cullen into Rakhmigree and back home to Resident hopefully we've been belly for Half three, four o'clock. Well done. And that, I'm told that's about 76 kilometres. Yeah, 76, I've clocked it, yeah. There's some very narrow, twisty roads along there, isn't there? Uh, there is a few, yeah, but look, they're not too bad. No, we've got to find our way around them, all right? We don't have Now, I'm assuming you'll have backup and support and people with you. Well, I have, I'll have, I'll have the cabs with me out front, and I'll have a, a car leading me out, and I'll have a car behind me. So I will so protect me while I be reversing. And the speed you will do? <laughs> Quite slow. Um, I don't want to do a lot of guards on myself. No, <laughs> so I want to see be very reversed. <laughs> you keep it nice and slow. That's I will. I keep it in the sea limit, isn't it? Yeah, OK. And I mean, it's great that you're going through all of the different towns because it'll be, it'll be nice for people to come out and see it as well. And will there people be collecting at all of the different towns? Yeah, they will. I have my, my wife, Eileen, and my two daughters, Lauren and Leah, and I'll have Another couple of um, Janet Burke and Ella Sullivan and we might get one or two more that may go with buckets around the towns and then passing through and look it does people out it'd be nice to donate and it's been like Andrew Hills yeah and what car are you driving? Um, I was sponsored a car from Connie Talent and E-Talent and Sons and Bent here so I was um, I rang them there uh, before Christmas I have a nephew working there and I asked him just to ask him would they be interested in coming with me in this. And there was a question asked from Connie. There was, can give me a ring and we'll stop the road and no problem. They give me a cab without a doubt. No problem. And what kind of a car is it? And so it's got a, is a fully electric car. Oh. So Have you driven electric before? I took it for a test drive there two weeks ago. Did you? Was it good? Because they're silent, aren't they? There's no this. Yeah, they are. They are. They're silent. Yeah, and you'll be doing it backwards anyway, so you won't get to see much out out the front. <laughs> no, no, no. And will you be the only one in the car? Will you have company in the car with no, you? No, I won't. No, because um, be total distraction. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it will take a lot of of concentration. Uh, Jim wants to know. Could you ask Andy? Did another Bally Desmond man, uh, Mossy Bren Brosnan, Brosnan, I think, yeah. did a similar fa- feat reversing? But I'm not sure if it was a truck. Or a bus he did it in. Do you remember, did he? It was a car. It was a car. He done it. He went up to the cock. So he did. This is a different route. A different route, yeah. Okay, all right. So there's there's a history in the area of uh, people in Ballydesmond deciding to reverse in their car. Uh, and is, yeah. and Pieta House, uh, a special charity for you, Andy? It is. Uh, um, 
I thought I last played Bolonaria in 2011. So I said, I obviously said I'd like to do something to not uh, help someone else. So yeah. just, we couldn't draw his design. So I said for a couple of years there, I was trying to think of doing something and look, just came into my head there for Christmas and we went visiting things fell into place and here we are now today getting ready for Sunday. And your, your brother-in-law, that's Michael Murphy. That's right, yeah. Yeah, he'll, he'll be he'll be smiling down on you and, and very proud about what you're doing. And we all know Pieta. Everybody knows Pieta House. Everybody knows how they save lives and we need to support them any way we yeah. can. I was looking online. I know you've got an I Donate page. Um, you that's are, right, you're, yeah. you're already doing very well on it. Yeah, I think um, we're just shot to 9,000 now this morning. Yeah. Um, so, look, we're, we're hoping, hoping that we'll make 10 before the weekend and look that if it goes over it's even better be great and then any anything collected along the route will just be yep. a bonus on top yeah, to, uh, to yeah I think you're going to do really really well indeed all we can do is wish you the best of luck with it Andy that's lovely thank you very much I appreciate it eyes on the back road not the front road yes, yes right <laughs> and well done to everybody who's helping you out uh, uh, t- to make it a reality thanks for yeah, that yeah thanks for sure thanks Catherine. Andy okay, bye 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 Andy Moynihan keep a lookout uh, for him as he reverses around a do hollow and that's what he will be doing on his Easter Sunday 0818 103 103 uh, also coming into us by uh, text uh, this is on the revenue commissioners when I mentioned that the revenue you now are sending out 150,000 letters has gone out to property owners. I don't know have, have people started to receive them yet or, or in, the, in the process of sending them all out. Uh, Maria says, I think this is all a bit disingenuous of the revenue commissioners. Everything appears to be a mess when revenue were asking for the re-evaluation of the properties. People who were already registered had to re-register. This is what happened and then registered IT couldn't handle or remember that there was a flood of people, the IT system System crashed at one stage. Uh, Maria says her memory of it was that it was a pure mess. The re-evaluation system, Maria reckons, hasn't worked. People who have genuinely been compliant, uh, Maria feels, has been thrown onto the bus. Now, I don't know. I mean, certainly what we're talking about today is nothing to do with people n- not having valued their properties uh, properly. This is to do with people who simply haven't paid or haven't engaged uh, with revenue. I don't know how many property owners... I know when people were asked to re revalue their their properties um, revenue said that they would do spot checks just to make sure that people were genuinely being telling the truth and I don't know how many people got caught out on that by putting in a lower price and hope that you'd pay less and then subsequently revenue came back I don't know uh, how many because I know the bulk of properties I think it was something like 54% of the people who valued their properties last year came in at under the 262,000 for property tax uh, purposes I think that kind of put people into the midway uh, band but I don't know how many people were actually checked and that they were actually giving misinformation. Um, hi Patricia, we recently got a notice on the property tax, whether it's one of these letters or not, it must be, to say uh, that we didn't pay. We actually did pay. We had paid in mid-December. Maybe they are sending out, maybe whoever's sending out the notices needs to update their system. There does seem to be errors. There definitely does seem to be errors because definitely the ones that came out, there was some threatening letters to people saying that they hadn't set up payment arrangements and it seems they had so whether you were in, in one of those cohorts of people and you get a letter from Revenue and they can and they are a little bit uh, frightened
frightening. And when we're talking about vacant properties, uh, Ger says, Trish, just to let you know, there are two council flats in Mitchellstown which became vacant. They were refurbished. Fantastic. Would you believe they're still uh, unoccupied today? And that's eight months later. Isn't I just scratch my head in just amazement at that because I can't understand how that can be allowed to happen. We know that the turnaround on some of the council properties can take some time but to have the work done, refurbishment they got the workers in and then for somebody to tell me eight months later they're still lying empty. Why? Oh why? And John then reacting to the email we had from Daniel who's applied to the council for one of these grants, the vacant property refurbishment grants and three months on after the engineer came out he's still waiting and wondering what's going on John said he was in a similar position except he applied through Cork City Council as applied to Cork County Council John said it was dragging on and dragging on and dragging on he got in contact with the person within the council it's a very nice person said to him oh look there's a bit of a delay with those because it's approved centrally this time he said it was in January and they didn't have the infrastructure in place to continue so they're obviously getting swamped with the amount of applications coming in John decided in the end, couldn't wait, had this property, wanted to start the refurbishment. So he started it. He says he's now been told that it's possible that he won't get approval for the grant. Uh, Yeah, because that's the one thing that you're told you can't start the work until you have the grant. But listen, maybe fight them on that one because of if it's their fault that there's been a delay. I mean, I wouldn't give that one up without a fight. 0818103103 on changes to names and people being called uh, something else. Uh, A listener says, hi, Patricia, I was christened Avril Ann, but I'm known to everyone as Ava. Avril Ann that's a very pretty uh, name and then listen to this one Uh, Hi Patricia before I got married I had to get a baptismal cert I found out on picking up my baptismal cert that I'd actually been christened Anne Ellen Bridget I'd already taken Anne for my confirmation name because I was always known as Helen (laughs) so you were Helen Ellen Bridget so you decided to take Anne so you're now Anne Ellen Bridget Anne instead Okay, thank you for that. 0818 103 103. And we got Bernie, who uh, often is the relief producer on the programme. She's covering reception today. We got her to select a winner from our five daily winners of tickets uh, for two to go racing on Easter Sunday. And our overall prize winner for today is Stephanie O'Sullivan of Shamrock Grove on the Old Yall Road. Stephanie, you have now had your prize upgraded. So you've got your admission, you've got your race card, you've got your reserved table in the restaurant at the race course, four course meal overlooking the track. And then when you're finished, have the bag packed because you and whoever you're bringing racing will be heading to an overnight stay at the Springford Hall Country House Hotel all happening this Easter Sunday. They're located 10 minutes from the race course. Enjoy and congratulations to all of our daily prize winners who will be going racing on Easter Sunday. And thank you to everybody who took part. There was a lot of interest in this particular competition. Racing Home for Easter Festival. It kicks off tomorrow at the race course in Mallow and tickets are available at corkracecourse.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Now, as I've mentioned, and actually I got it wrong, I thought it was today. It's actually Easter Sunday is National Name Yourself Day. So if you got the chance, would you change your name or would you stick with the one that your parents gave you? To discuss how some of us feel about our given names, I'm joined by Lars Anderson of MyNameTags.ie. Good afternoon to you, Lars. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Now, you undertook a special survey. Are many people here not happy with their first name? Yes, yeah, so we did a, a survey and found that 14% of uh, the adults we surveyed would like to change their name if they had a chance. So quite quite a lot of people. I, I was a little bit surprised about the, the large number of people who, who are clearly not entirely happy with their, with their first name. And do they give reasons as to why they didn't like their Christian name? Uh, we didn't ask specifically for reasons, but uh, one of the things that, that we asked was whether people had feel that they're judged by the first name or whether they have judged others. And, and 57% did say that they have had a negative first impression of someone just uh, simply from their name. <laughs> so you, so you, you hear somebody's name, you think I'm not going to like them because I don't like that name. Yes, yes, it's it's uh, so, you know, it could be it could be that school bully that ah. uh, or, or maybe on the other side, you know, it could be positive. You met a couple of really clever, really kind people called Patricia. And after that, you sort of think, OK, this is a good name. I want to name my child Patricia because it feels good. Yeah. Or I meet someone named Patricia and I think, oh, they must be clever and, and kind too. Well, that's that's interesting. And did some people feel that their names are just old fashioned? Did, did, did that feature at all? That's just not a trendy name anymore. Well, so so 41% felt that their name was traditional, but only 30% felt that their name was outdated or, or old fashioned. I guess that's always the, the challenge. We, we name our child in, and they have to live with that name for another, uh, you know, almost 100 years or, or even more than 100 years in the future. And of course, that, that at that point, these names, it's a little bit like fashion. They, they go in trends. So suddenly, 50, 100 years later, suddenly your, your name might feel very old fashioned. That's why you, you, you will hear parents sometime naming their children over maybe a pop star or a name that's popular in a TV programme. Uh, I mean, I remember when Dallas was all the rage, uh, one of the stars in it was Crystal. And I remember there was a number of children called Crystal. And OK, it might have been relevant back in the 80s, but it's probably very dated now. So do we have to be careful when we're naming our children particularly if you're going with what's trendy at the time or what's popular at the time, that, as you say, may just go out of fashion. Yeah, there is a there is a risk that that what seems to be a great name. Uh, so, yeah, a crystal, you know, everyone talks about it. Uh, it might feel glamorous at the time, but uh, 30 years later, uh, 50 years later, People might not remember Dallas anymore and, and they just don't understand that name. So, yeah, there is a, there's always that risk of of naming people uh, a name that was really fashionable at a time. 
Now, you did look at what are what are popular names. So if people did decide that they wanted to change, what, what came out as sort of popular names at the moment? Well, so the popular names that we, we had uh, on the, the girls' side, Emily and Grace, 30% said Emily, 28% said that Grace was a was a popular name. And and uh, for the boys' side, James and Noah came out as as uh, some of the more popular names in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, and if you look at the CSO, the Central Statistics Office, every year when they're listing the the, the amounts of births every year, and they, I, it's always fascinating to watch the top 10, 10 names every year. They're the ones that are, that are still popular. And some of them, have, like James and Noah, they've stuck around in the top 10, and so has Emily, actually, for quite some time. So they're, they're obviously on trend at the moment. Yes, uh, although I think in a, in an earlier study we did, we we looked at names over fifty years, and we found that the, the boys' name tend to to stay for longer. They're slightly less fashionable. Uh, maybe we have that tradition of of kind of we have a more limited pool of boys' names, whereas with girls it changes a little bit more. We're we're, we're a little bit more uh, open to to uh, maybe experiment and and give more more sort of trendy names maybe to two girls. Yeah, and 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 you asked I you asked people to pick an alternative name. I was interested to see Casey was in that list. That's Love Island obviously. Yes, so 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 we asked people if you were to kind of give yourself a different name for a day uh or the National Name Yourself Day on, on the 9th of April, what, w- what would you choose if you want just a trendy name for a day? And yeah, uh, Casey, uh, other boys' names, James, Ken, Ryan, girls' names like Lulu, Mallory, Cordelia, uh, came up as, as being the, the trendy names, the names in, in fashion uh, just at the moment. I have to say Cordelia is a new one on me. I don't know if I would be changing my name to Cordelia. I can understand boys going for Casey, good looking guy on Love Island. And that's very much what you you mentioned earlier. You associate nice guy, nice looks. I like that name. Yeah. So so if if I name myself Casey for a day, does that mean I'll get... (laughs) I'll get the looks too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will, Lars. I'm sure you will. And and do you like your own name? If you if you were to ch- would you change your name? Are you happy with Lars? I I I was born in Norway, and and in Norway, Lars is is you know very boring. It's everyone's called called Lars, uh, but of course it's it's always a bit of a strange name uh, outside of Scandinavia. So, yeah, maybe I should I should get a get a proper Irish name instead. Yeah, I, I always kind of think when you when you say that, you know, it's a popular name. It's probably like the John or the, the Patrick's over here. Yes, it's, it's, it's a common name yes. uh, like that. And Absolutely. And when I mentioned that we were going to be talking to you on the programme today, I can't get over the number of people who were christened and, you know, and and officially registered on their birth cert as one name and then they're called something completely different. In some cases, the second name that they had, they, they, they were called that. It seems, you know, even though a parent has selected a name, they, the children grow up into adults being called something completely different. Yeah, no, it's an in, in, intriguing kind of thing. But sometimes it's the parents. They give maybe, they give give one traditional name and then then they have a second second name and they they really like the second name so they use it for the child all the way through 
through uh, through childhood, and that kind of becomes the name, even though they have a maybe more tr- more standard first name uh, mm. that that uh, was given. So, or or just people are just called something like uh, I have a friend who loved cars. He's called Jeep. <laughs> he's got a completely separate name, but he's he was always as a child he was Jeep, and and even as an adult, you know, we we still. We still call him call him that. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And if yeah, and if you're talking to your friends and you want to tell them something about Jeep, of course you're going to refer to them as Jeep and, and nothing else because yes. they, they may not even know what Jeep's real name is. And of course you're in the business of of name tags. That's that's what you do. You you do name tags that people put on kids' clothes and adults. I'm assuming is that as popular as ever, Lars? Yes, yes, it's 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 growing, and I think more and more people understand that having a having a name tag with a the child's name, uh, probably a parent's phone number, put that everywhere. So when children, every child loses stuff all the time, it comes back to you. So it it more and more people understand. You know, it makes sense uh, as long as you choose the, your child's name and not the not the random yeah. uh, trendy name for it. Okay, listen, uh, I enjoyed our chat, uh, Lars. Thank you for that. And uh, enjoy National Name Yourself Day next Sunday. But thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, Good afternoon to you. Bye bye. That is Lars Anderson of MyNameTags.ie. Hi, Patricia. I was christened James, uh, but most people call me Jimmy or Jim. Maybe it's the surname I should be changing, says Jim. I've always considered changing it to Bond. Much more exciting to be James Bond. And he managed to get all of the pretty ladies, says uh, Jim. And says, um, oh, this isn't Anne. This is from, is there a name on this? Uh, I call myself Trinity for a day, Sarah Ann Colette. Uh, the, oh, that's Colette. Oh, she's, I call myself Trinity for a uh, day. Hi, Patricia. My birth said uh, my birth cert says uh, Julie Christine. I've always been referred to as uh, Christine. That's another one. We've had so many of those in this morning of people saying that what they're registered, but they're actually called by their second name. That's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara uh, for producing. Have a wonderful Easter, Nick Richards, with you for the afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.